This episode contains some swearing. We can't help that. It's because the two authors that we're interviewing happen to have written books that both have swearing in their titles. So, if you really can't cope with any words ruder than front bottom, bum, or shih tzu, may I suggest you listen to one of our other episodes. We'd Like a Word. And we're back. Welcome to part three of We'd Like a Word with me, Stephen Colgan. And me, Paul Waters. And our guests today, Daniel Fryer and John Williams. We're talking about self-help books and we've been hearing about skeletons in closets. Okay, Daniel Fryer. Aye. You had other jobs before this. I did. Which ones are you talking about? <laughs> well, what, what would be the what? What one would, would I possibly be getting at? What sort of would have entertainment value? Probably all of them. Bingo! Ah, you were a bingo caller. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> were you not? No, no, no. I was the editor of Gala what, what Buzz, the magazine it? for uh, members of Gala Bingo. Okay, bingo. So yes, That's bingo. Worse. No, it's actually... <laughs> uh, you wrote a magazine bingo. about bingo. Uh, yeah, um, so in the customer publishing company that I, I was working for, um, the sadly defunct Square One, um, one of the contracts was with Gala Buzz, and they had this magazine, and it was a, just a, a loyalty reward for their membership. And it was a bit like chat and take a break for the bingo community. And uh, the uh, bingo community is very, very sweet and very, very bizarre. Um, and it's just once you get sucked into the world, it's so endearing. And the magazine itself was slightly off kilter, and everyone who worked on it loved working on it. So the, the the sub editors that read my copy loved it. The designers loved it because it was just slightly oddball, but in a nice way. Yeah. And, so, and the letters pages were just unintentionally hilarious. Go on, give us a, an instance. Well, did they just write poems and, and, and send you songs and they talk about all their antics. Uh, one day I, I wrote a, a story about um, 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 somebody who died and somebody wasn't getting over it and they just saw their face in the carving of a tree. And so the artist drew an illustration of the tree with a little bit of what could have been a face in the branches. We had so many people going, oh my God, that story is amazing and I could almost see the face in the tree and it's like it's because there was a face in the tree there is an actual face in the tree the 55 my dead wife absolutely <laughs> but they've updated bingo calling now haven't they they've I, changed I know. Do you it approve? all I'm, I'm, so there are no more fat ladies life is all what? about change so I approve two fat ladies that's gone I can't, what is it now I can't remember 88 is uh, you have to google it 88 I would need a date Possibly. John. Nah. <laughs> that brings us neatly to John. Oh, it does, yes. So you know about this. Tell us about the Love Lab, John. Oh, yeah. Well, well, well the Love yeah, Challenge, was Love it? Challenge, The Love yeah. Challenge, yeah. Um, I think it was a year before last I started this. I, I found myself to be single at an advanced age, and I thought I would... I've always been a bit rubbish at dating. I want to get into a relationship. I seem to be okay. Um... And a bit rubbish at dating and just kind of don't do it and don't like it. And so I thought, I've got to get over this. And so I thought, what I'd do is I invite all the best experts in flirting, dating, relationships, whatever else. Get them to give me advice and then take that advice. And, and what, what actually happened is the Psychologies magazine, uh, the editor of Psychologies magazine, Susie Walker, uh, got in touch. And, and uh, I know her already. She said, why don't we do a podcast? And so what we ended up doing was having these experts come to my place and we did a live um, podcast recording where I asked some questions 
and then we compiled it all together and made a, made some of their advice plus a bit of my personal journey so to put that personal story in as we were talking about earlier and then to bring it to life um, we asked whether any of the psychologist readers who are mostly women uh, would like to go on a date with me and uh Several people applied. Um, no, two people I thought would be good to go on a date with. And we basically went on a date, uh, me and the first woman and our sound engineer. So it's very intimate. And we were both mic'd up and he's sitting in the corner, like listening to the levels and stuff like that and checking it's not distorted. And we went for his meal. I mean, he interviewed her before and afterwards and um uh, and then actually secretly we said that's the end of the date and she pretended to get in a, a taxi but what actually happened is we both got in a taxi and we went on to a cocktail where we could we could actually drink something and talk without being recorded and uh so it was quite good fun um and we put that whole thing out and that was interesting and then i turned it into a course because by that point i got all these experts i was connected with and we brought them all in and i Put together stuff, the bits I did know, which were about relationships, which I felt I'd done um, uh, kind of core training in psychotherapy for about six years. So that was quite useful for relationship stuff. Put it all together into a course that was called The Love Challenge. In fact, you, you can still get it at thelovechallenge.info. Um, we ran it once as a live thing, and uh, it was great fun. It was basically, people, re it's like one of my highest rated things I ever created in terms of courses. And several people after said, you know, I've got a partner for the first time in many years. So and I is the secret of a successful date mm. a sound engineer. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So you just, you know, what was the phrase I used? I think it was, uh, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to speak up for the sound. For, for the <laughs> yeah. so it is. Yeah. yeah. Or is the so secret you know. having like the grit of a sound engineer who you can then dispense with and go, ha ha. Oh, true. Yeah. Like Mike Yarwood. And, and now then, this is me. And then yeah. talk about him afterwards. Yeah. But yeah. the interesting thing um, is, is that, I mean, presumably this is all relationships that's face to face. Whereas, of course, an awful lot of people are meeting each other for the first time now through, through dating apps and websites, which I've always thought is the weirdest business model in the world, isn't it? We want to lose you as a customer. That's what they're actually saying. Yeah, but to they you. don't. They don't. So I that's know this is exactly. the thing. This they, is the they, thing but they don't. Do this they? is what I discovered during the course of a love challenge: is that actually they're very online dating. It's not that it doesn't work at all, but it's a very inefficient way of meeting. Somebody. It is, yeah. So for every one hour of face-to-face -face date, people typically spend fourteen hours on the app to get there. Now that's a long amount of time. If you if you want to get a date every week. It's going to be very hard at that kind of rate, which is why what happens is people sign up and they don't want to cancel their subscription because just that's, in case. Yeah. And it's like admitting, well, that's it. I'm going to be single forever. And so what we were doing is we were sharing ideas about how you meet people in real life and how you engineer that and change the way you are as you walk about your daily life. And if you actually make connections to people and now to make connections and break connections, so what do you sort of pretend to be not sure what sort of food to choose in the supermarket? Well, that's one of the things, yeah. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm feeling a bit lost. Well, well, if you study the people who are great flirts, and I've had some friends who are great flirts, so part of it's based on that, and part of it, and it was all confirmed also, 
by a flirtologist who came in, Jean Smith. <laughs> a flirtologist. She's got a great book called Flirtology. Great job title. They don't tell you yeah. about that at school, what you no. want to be when you no, grow no. up. Yeah, it's like that's an option That would now. be the best careers advisor ever, though, wouldn't it? I've, we've, we've done the, 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 the psychometric <laughs> yeah. testing and we think the best career for you is flirtologist. Flirtologist. Yeah. Yeah. flirtologist Great, darling. tell me what you're doing after school. <laughs> yeah. oh. oh, no, that would be wrong. Yeah, anyway, a good flirtologist. A, a good flirt, well, you'll notice that the friends I've had are good flirts. They are, they are uh, open and engaging and warm all the time with everybody, regardless of gender and whether they fancy them or not. So there's somebody who I remember being standing in Waterloo Station once getting a coffee late at night. I was with this guy uh, who is a friend of mine. who was a good flirt. And uh, the woman has some money, music on the background, like Latin American music. And I order the coffee and he, I just kind of did my normal grumpy thing when I'm just buying things, which is I just don't make much eye contact and, and just sort of like, when is this over? <laughs> I'm actually fine in other situations. For some reason, I find it really weird shopping. And, um, and he, he said, he was listening to the music and he was a musician. And he said, uh, hey, is this music uh, Brazilian? She goes, yeah, isn't it great? And she turns up, she starts dancing to it. And she's from somewhere around that area. And they're starting to chat to each other. And he's no, she was way too young for him and he wasn't particularly trying anything at the time. But that is a connection. So it's not surprising that he was never without uh, a girlfriend mm. because he's always making those connections with people. Yeah, that, so that was one of the principles I learned. It's the REBT way, kind of. Um, one of my tutors over here is a guy called Wendy Dryden, who's probably the oh, yeah, foremost thought... authority on REBT in this country. He was trained by Albert Ellis and he's written hundreds of books I know, so yeah, I um, and there's one on relationships uh, relationship problems and there's a section it's like well how do you get a date and he said the easiest way is just to keep making connections and if you think there's a connection just ask them out stop waiting for the right person to come along cast your net wide bring the net in and and see who you land not the best analogy but just keep making connections keep talking to people if you like somebody ask them out they're going to say yes or no but if you keep asking you're going to get more yeses um i have a i don't know which story to tell now the guy albert ellis who invented this therapy kicked off his journey with a personal story That's right. he developed the therapy and tested it on himself first of all um because he was terrible with women really really nervous got all, all stammery and, and had no success. So he worked on his beliefs, he worked on himself, and he set himself an experiment. One weekend, Central Park, he was going to ask 100 women out. And he did. He approached 100 women, he asked them out. 99 women said no. The one woman who said yes didn't turn up. But he said, that it's fine, the experiment worked. But after that, I got over my fear. Wow. Well, that is one approach. There's a yes. test, isn't there, about gender where people went at a university went up to someone of the opposite gender and said do you want to go home and sleep with me or something to, to that effect slightly uh, more delicate language yeah, a little bit and you know it was an attractive woman an attractive man who is the sort of subject and um women mostly said no mm -hmm. some of them actually went yes so it was a complete stranger walked up do you want to go home and sleep with me yes um quite a few of the men said yes Okay. And, and, and you so surprised me there yeah. was a whole discussion around you know where is the gender bias and is that socialized or is that innate and people have different opinions and all sorts of different constructions about that but it was um but it but it was quite striking that even the women wasn't 100 percent no and just to get to the end of your experiment mm. 
Hmm. Um, are you with one of these I people? Am I with someone? Well, the funny thing was <laughs> at the time at the time of recording, we did not uh, continue uh, the, uh, the first woman who we recorded. I went on a date the very next night, and my plan was also to record that date, and. Uh, I didn't because we said, look, we've got one in the back. Can we not do this weirdness again? You know, with, the, <laughs> with the sound engineer sitting in the corner going, yeah, I just sort of, sorry, I can't. Anyway, um, so I went out with this woman next night and we got on much, much better. Right. Uh, I mean, we got, I got on quite well yeah, with the woman on the first sure. night. But, you know, that really clicked with the second woman. And we, we did go out for a while. And then it did not continue after. Uh, it, so I did not end up with somebody. So I am actually still single, although I have used those principles um quite a bit and it has been helpful and uh and all those things actually do work when you do well getting back to the bingo i did look it up so i was kind of nearly right number eight is now tinder date is it? as opposed to 88 88 is now moobs it was two fat ladies it's now <laughs> moobs moobs it doesn't rhyme moobs Oh, no, it's Mind you know, yeah, that's true. But, mm. but okay. it had, a kind of, had a kind of rhythm and a poetry to it, didn't it? Yeah. Do you want to know the worst one? Well, I don't know, they're all bad. 66, it used to be, clickety-click, yeah. click. it's now historic US route. Uh, really? And that's uh, just rubbish. Okay. Yes. To Bingo the, 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 has gone down the hill since you left it. We're kind of descending to that point where I think maybe we should go and visit another bookshop. We like celebrating bookshops. We do. On We'd Like a Word. And in this episode, I'm dropping into the bookhouse in Tame. I'm standing outside the bookhouse in Tame, which looks lovely. It's got a, a sign outside saying, A fantabulous selection of children's books awaits you inside, a Roald Dahl reference. There's a big Mog window, Mog the Forgetful Cat. And it says, Real Browsing Inside. Oh, and here's Hilary Mantel in the mirror and the light in the other window. And there's a big puffin as well. A big statue of a puffin. Very, very bright and breezy. Let's go inside. Oh, here come two dogs in after me. Are dogs allowed? Yes, they are. I've come straight to the crime section. It says, do not enter crime scene, but we're disobeying that. And I'm here with the owner of the book house. Hello. Yes. Hello. Tell us about yourself. Uh, Brian Pattinson. I've been selling books in Tame for 47 years now. Originally a Newry man. Originally from Newry in Northern Ireland, and uh, but I've been over here for 50 years or so. Now what's the ethos of this shop? What's it about? Selling books, of course, but what else? When we started 47 years ago, we started as a children's bookshop. We were one of four children's bookshops operating in the country. Uh, subsequently, we discovered that we couldn't really make a living just selling children's books. So we're now a family bookshop. We serve public and tame and have done so for the last 47 years. And you have a lot of well-known writers linked to this place. Tell me some of them. Um, well, they, where we started in the high street, um, we saw in a, a rather beautiful red brick house called the Red House. And uh, W.B. Yeats... Uh, lived there for one year in 1920. What a pedigree. <laughs> what a pedigree. His only son, Michael Yates, was born in Tame. Roald Dahl, he mm. used to ring you up? Yes, Roald Dahl was a uh, sometime customer of ours. He lived at Great Missenden, a little distance from us here. And um, his niece came and worked with us for three months. 
One day he rang us to tell us that um, when he was his new book, Matilda, was coming through, his one of his main characters, Miss Honey, the teacher, encouraged Matilda to read. She lived in a cottage called the Red House, and the Red House was he named uh, the cottage after. He always thought the bookshop was a rem- book of stories, and he thought that it would be very fitting that his character in his book lived in the Red House. So what sort of uh, stuff is popular here? What do people buy? What do people look for? What do they well, ask so for? Silicon, but, uh, children's is a very strong part of this, really very strong area. So we, uh, we really encourage children to get reading at an early age, and we encourage parents to come and choose books for them. But I suppose course, like the rest of the country, Hilary Mantel is big. I know in your back room you've got boxes and boxes of signed copies. The poor woman, her hand must be um, yes. broken by now, signing <laughs> yes. so many hardbacks. Yes. But loads of pre-orders, I guess. Lots of pre-orders. Um, been, people have been very supportive, although the book is on sale in lots of despicable places. Um, um, Are you referring to online, <laughs> by any chance? Well, and other places too, at ridiculous prices. But um, we've got a very strong support and team and they insist on buying the books in their bookshop and keeping their bookshop on the high street which is wonderful news uh, just over your shoulder then you have a little reading garden that's a, have, unusual yes we have a very nice little garden and we open the doors in the summer and people can wander out there take the books out there and read you also have a book festival i understand yes we do we have the um, tame arts and literary festival which happens every october um, we've had wonderful authors. We had Mary Robinson, President of Ireland, ex-President of Ireland, a couple of years ago. We've had uh, Edna O'Brien. Do you allow now? I'm hoping the answer is no. Do you allow non-Irish writers to take part? One or two. <laughs> no, no, we, I, I had my hopes up there. We have uh, a very wide range of children's authors and adult authors. And people come from some distance to support us. And uh, we are absolutely thrilled from... We started with about 700 the first year. We're in our 11th year this year, but we had over 4,000 people attend last year. How are bookshops doing, do you think? Good. This looks thriving. Yes. There are people coming and going. It's, it's busy. You have events. Yes. How do you keep this healthy? We're changing all the time. We, we see all the representatives from the major companies, and I sit down every month with them. And um, doing this for 40-odd years, you get an idea what people really want to, to read. My wonderful staff here are all great readers. We uh, share reading experiences all the time. We do have on a number of our books little red stickers, which are staff choice stickers, which uh, publicly... Let's, let's see if uh, yeah, we can yeah, see yeah, any yes. over here. OK, we're on the hunt for a red sticker. Well, a blue sticker. Oh, a blue sticker. Blue here sticker. we have yeah, blue yeah. staff choice. And this yeah. is so Meet Me yeah, at the Museum, Museum. and yeah. Youngson. And that's proved to be very popular. And we've got a, actually a chart here. The Bookhouse Current Bestsellers. Right. So number one, Where the Crawdads Sing, Delia Owens, Big Sky, Kate Atkinson, The Binding, Bridget Collins, Meet Me at the Museum, yes. just talking about, Anne Youngson. And at number five, Once Upon a River, Diane Setterfield. Um, Hilary Mantel will be popping up there in the next I edition. I think she'll be number one, <laughs> I would uh, suspect so. Um, we've had terrific support. People have been ordering it in, uh, in numbers. Crime is very popular here, but literature, they do like um, a good literary novel, and um, we have lots of them. One of our best-selling books in the last two years is uh, 
Heart's Invisible Fury is John Boyne. Is it a book you're familiar with? I haven't read that. Oh. I have read others of him, and I, I follow him on Before Twitter. Before you go, I'm going to insist that you take a copy. I'm going to give it to you. Because well, it's such it's, a wonderful this is great. <laughs> <laughs> this is my, my first book from uh, a bookshop from one of these no, interviews, so that's good. I would ask you to sit down to continue our chat. We've got yeah. three chairs, but I'm afraid they're all taken by <laughs> the Gruffalo, Maisie, and... and Peter Rabbit. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Not at all. You're very welcome. And that's the very cute The Book House in Tame. That seems lovely. Tame's nice anyway. If you don't know where Tame is, Tame's in Oxfordshire and it's quite a posh town. They film a lot of Midsummer Murders there. I think Corston Police Station is actually the town hall there. Oh, yeah, it's very nice. Risky very nice. place. Very nice. Yes. Now then, we've got to give an answer to the last show's question, which was set for us by Serena Patel. Serena Patel, author of Anisha, Accidental Detective. Yes, that's right. Which featured Anisha solving a mystery, the kidnapper of her uncle Tony on the eve of his wedding. But there was a lobster. There was an escaped lobster. So there was a lobster question. And the question was, where do lobsters have their teeth? Do you know? Well, some of our listeners did. Did they? I did not know. As usual, yeah. I didn't know the answer to the question. <laughs> of course, you knew the answer to the question. Well, I knew the answer. He's yeah, very yeah, annoying. Yeah. And it's actually in their stomach. They, they swallow the food and they've got these these grinding plates with sort of like knobbly bits on in their stomach. I think it's called a, a gastric grinder or, or something like that. But yeah, their teeth are in their stomach. Yeah. And the usual prize is, is going out. Nothing. Indeed. Which brings us to this episode. Do either or both of you chaps have a little question you could posed to our listeners so um i spent new year in bali two years ago balinese new year that uh, it's not at the end of december it's um in january or february or something and on new year's eve they actually have the strange papier-mâché monsters i think they're papier-mâché called ogo ogo and they parade them through the streets to scare away the spirits and then set fire to them on the beach it's quite a thing right and um, the next day, something very special happens, which is New Year's Day itself. Oh, that's a good question. I like that one. I like that one. So that's John Williams' question. It is. Daniel Fryer's question. It's quite question. dull in comparison after that lovely little story. <laughs> um, and it's actually about REBT. <laughs> okay. Um, before REBT was called REBT, what was it called? Okay. Tell them how to enter. Well, the best way is to email us. And our email address, frustratingly, is wedlikeaword at gmail.com. Because, of course, you can't use apostrophes in email addresses. So, wedlikeaword. Wedlikeaword. I, like I, I know. Screwerletsplay.com. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do get in contact anyway. It's nice to hear from you anyway. We like to hear what you think of the show mm. and suggestions for people to come on the show, etc., etc. We just love hearing from people. Is there a positive, like maybe one take-home positive message that you'd both extract from your complicated, voluminous work? It is possible to change how you react to things if you apply yourself. That's good. And if you are determined, you can make a living out of just about anything these days. If you stick at it and you're willing to be flexible about how you do it. And on that positive note... We will thank Daniel Fryer, author of The Four Thoughts That Fuck You Up and How to Fix Them. Thank you very Indeed. much. Indeed, and John Williams, the author of Screw Work Let's Play and Screw Work Break Free. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, both of you. You've been listening to We'd Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>